Hey there, my name is Roy, and I am the lead pastor at uh, Arthur Pentecostal Assembly, and we're so glad you've joined us for our online experience today. And uh, have you ever been somewhere where you don't speak the language, but maybe you know a few words, and, but you were kind of afraid to, to try speaking the language, just, you just didn't have the confidence? Well, I think in Canada, many of us have experienced this because, well, we live in a multicultural, multi-language country. The problem is that while most of us at some point have taken French in elementary school or maybe a little bit of high school, very few of us can actually speak French with any level of confidence. A few years ago, my wife Jen and I, we took a, uh, a group of students, there was four of them, to run a kids camp uh, near Ottawa. And one day, we decided that, because we, we had an afternoon off, we were going to take the students into Ottawa to do a little bit of sightseeing, because we found out that three of the four had never been, never been to our nation's capital. And so we did a little bit of sightseeing, saw the parliament buildings and all the things that they, they could see. And we, then we discovered those same three students, they've never been to the province of Quebec. So if you've ever been to Ottawa, you know that Quebec is just across like a short bridge. It's just a short drive and you're right into a different province. And so because they'd never set foot in the province, we decided we are going to take them so they could say they had. Now, when we crossed over into, the, into Quebec, one of the first places we stopped was Tim Hortons. Now, again, if you've ever been to Quebec, especially on the, the, border, the border towns that are right on the Ontario border, you know that people in Quebec, French-speaking people, actually speak English very, very well. Uh, much better than most of us can speak French, for sure. And so one of our students, though, Lauren, didn't know that. She didn't know that. She thought that when we went into Quebec, that it would just be instantly, everybody only speaks French, and they wouldn't be able to understand us. So we decided we are going to mess with her a little bit. And we told her that we were going to give her the chance to use the French that she's learned in public school, and she was going to order my wife's uh, ice cappuccino at Tim Hortons. You could tell she was really nervous. And, she's, and as she's in line, she's kind of rehearsing what she's going to say, and she's practicing over and over, grande cappuccino glacé, grande cappuccino glacé, grande cappuccino glacé. And so the whole time, we're laughing to ourselves that she can order this in English. And, and everyone, the, the person that's there would understand her completely, but she has no idea. Grande cappuccino glacé. So she gets to the front of the line, and, and she's and very nervously says, Grande, cappuccino, glacé. And she was right. Like, it was, te- it was technically the right words. But because it was, she was not confident, and she was, the, the guy behind the counter didn't really understand what she said. So he leans in and says, pardon me? And then that's when my wife steps up and just goes, can I get a large ice, uh, large ice cap, please? To which she says, no problem, ma'am, coming right up. And to see Lauren's face as she realized, wait, I, what, what? It, if, now, if the reverse were true, most of us, even though Canada has two national languages, we would struggle if someone came and ordered in just French. We would struggle. It's tough enough to understand a second language. But even translators at times have a hard time because sometimes certain words well, they just don't translate. Back in the, 
back in the, in the 400s, St. Jerome was translating, who studied Hebrew, was tr- trying to translate some of the Old Testament, Testament into Latin from the original Hebrew. And one of the stories in the, in the Old Testament is where Moses comes down from the mountain. He's bringing down the Ten Commandments. And it was said that he had a glow about himself because he has just been face to face with God. Now, the word that was translated, there was, no, there was no word in the original Hebrew. And so when he translated it, he translated it into, it was mistranslated to horns, that Moses had horns, not a glow. And so... For centuries, if you look back, there are, there are sculptures, there are paintings where Moses has horns. And Michelangelo, a very famous artist, if you go to Rome now, there's a sculpture of Moses where he's got horns. In the 1950s, chocolate companies began encouraging people to celebrate Valentine's Day in Japan. But a mistranslation by one company gave people the idea that it was actually the woman's job to give the man chocolates on Valentine's Day. And so to this day, because of that mistranslation, today traditionally in Japan, people, women give men chocolate on Valentine's Day. Now, ladies, it all comes back to them because on March 14th, March 14th, the men return the favor. They give chocolates back to the ladies. And the winner of all this is the chocolate companies because there's basically two Valentine's Day all of a sudden. As you know, translating one language to another can cause issues. We have some of those same issues in the church. There are things that we say, uh, things that to someone on the outside, if they just walked in, there's things we say just don't make sense with their everyday language. It just doesn't jive. So over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the things that we say as Christians that may not be so self-explanatory as we may think. Here are five phrases that didn't make the cut. And there's a lot. There's a lot of things we say. But here's five that we're not going to touch on, but I think we should just talk about for a second. Number one, and don't be offended. If this is something that you say all the time, if you're a Christian, you say this all the time, don't be offended. I'm just poking fun a little bit. It's, it's, anyway, Number one, hedge of protection. Now, I understand this. I get the context. But so we will often pray for a hedge of protection around somebody. It means we want them to be safe. But and again, if it's a phrase that you use, please don't email me. I, I understand where it is. But if I want a barrier around me, if I actually want protection, I don't want a hedge I don't want a hedge. I want, I, want a, I want a wall, like a brick wall of protection, or, or even better, a titanium wall of protection. I, I don't want to be, if there's a car coming at me or a bull charging towards me or some sort of projectile coming at me, I, I don't want a hedge to protect me. Give me like a moat or something. Give me something, something better. Everything seems better than a hedge. Okay, moving on. Number two, eh, this is a term I've never heard outside of before I, was a, before I was a Christian. I've never heard this term. And it's actually one that I never use. I think it kind of sounds weird. And again, if you use it, no offense, no offense at all. But traveling mercies. This is there's something weird. Like, why, why don't we say, hey, just drive safe or stay safe. Or when you get there, give me a call. Let me know you made it. But it's like traveling mercies. We... we we want you to have traveling mercies. 
it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just call me when you get there. Here's another one. And, and I don't mean to make fun of this one. Because, um, again, I understand the theological imagery of this, but you have to. You have to put yourself in the shoes of someone who just has walked into the church, this term, washed by the blood. Like, imagine that you've never been to church. You've never been exposed to church. You don't know anything about church. Someone invites you, and you walk in. You're a little bit nervous. You're already thinking, is, like, is this a cult or something? And you walk in, and the first song they're singing is, I want to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. You've got to understand the barrier here. That's, again, something that we say, but it's weird for people on the outside. Here, number four, hallelujah. Now, most people know this word, hallelujah. Most people have said this word, and most peop- but most people have never studied Hebrew and don't know what it literally means. They don't know that hallelujah means praise be, and Yah being the short, short version of Yahweh, God's name, hallelujah is praise be to God. Now, they figured it's something like that because they've, it's been in, they've been in a situation where things have turned out well, and they've went, hallelujah. Okay, last one, number five. Hopefully, you're not too offended by this point. Lay hands on. Now, I get this. This is... This is Within a church context, you know, we're a family. When somebody is going through something, our church family will get around somebody and we'll put hands and we'll pray on, pray for that person. And it's actually a pretty beautiful moment when you see it happening. But lay hands on. If you say this in the, in the wrong setting, you're going to get yourself in some serious trouble. If you go to work tomorrow and you ask someone, especially from the opposite gender, can I lay hands on you? you're probably going to get written up and you're probably going to be facing at least a suspension. Don't do it. If you meet somebody in a restaurant or a club or a bar and you tell them that you want to go out back and lay hands on them, you better be ready to fight. These are fighting words. So don't just, that's one, just leave that alone outside of the church. It's, it doesn't translate. There's lots of words that don't translate or, or concepts or phrases that don't translate outside of Christian circles. And it's easy to take those things and just toss them aside. Like, let's never say them again. Well, traveling mercies, let's feel free to get rid of that one. But sometimes the things that we say actually have significant meanings behind them, like washed in the blood. As a kid who didn't grow up in church, I've learned the insider language But along the way, as a pastor, I've encountered people who have no idea what these words meant. They've never come across these things. They've never heard of the word sanctuary without the the word bird in front of it, bird sanctuary. So it's easy for us to get caught up in our own little Christian bubble. And and, 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 but what we can't do is we can't do this. We can't let these words or these phrases or these concepts get in the way of allowing people in. We don't want to exclude people. And so today I'm going to, to explain the deeper, deeper meaning of some of, our, some of our insider language. Have you ever heard someone say, God spoke to me? Like it's, when you hear this, it's always kind of beautiful or mysterious and, and kind of weird. It's this weird phrase that you hear some, you'll hear someone say. 
Because people have used this, this phrase in very positive ways, but they've also used it in very negative ways. I remember a couple of years ago, not even that long ago, a, televan- a televangelist on TV was telling his congregation that God spoke to him and told him he needs to buy another private jet. Another because they already had three. And, and he needed this $54 million jet to be able to do the work of the ministry. Okay. How do you tell someone, I don't think that's what God said. How do you tell someone? Because when, when someone throws that out there, it's hard to say, you know, I, I don't mean to argue with you, but that's not what God said. We're going we're gonna to see how we can determine that a little bit later. But I think it's easy when someone says, God spoke to me to make fun of them. But it, on the flip side, it's easy to also think that every time someone says, God spoke to me, that it must be 100% true. So how do you determine what to take seriously and what to be cautious of. Well, we can assume that it's all false and that God doesn't speak anymore. As, but as I read throughout my Bible, I see story after story from Genesis all the way to Revelation of a God that desperately loves the people and loves you, who, who, who pursues you with everything, wants to have a relationship with you, and I see a God that badly wants to communicate with you. So when it comes to theology, we all have this we have this desire to have a sense of purpose and a, and a sense of purpose that comes from knowing what God's will is for our lives. There's another one of our, those, those phrases. What's, what's God's will for our lives? What he wants from us? What's, it, what's, his, what's his dream for us? And to, to know that, then God needs to somehow speak to us. So when it comes to his will, there's, there's, there's his general will the general will of God, and then there's the specific will of God. The general will of God is things like that God wants for mankind, to love your neighbor, be kind to others, to, to take care of the poor and the needy, etc. those type of things. Those are things he wants, doesn't matter who you are, he wants for everyone. Most of us understand those things. doesn't mean we do them, but we understand them. We, we want, but what we want to know is we want to know the specific will of God, we want to know our future. We want to know what our purpose is. That goes for everyone, I think, Christian or not. That's why psychics and palm readers are so popular, because we all want to know in some way what lies in our future and what's, what our sense of purpose is, and we will do anything to find that out. And those questions start early. When you're in high school, you're already like, where do, where do I go to college, God, or what career am I going to jump into? And then, and then when we get there, who should I marry or... What, when, I, when we get married, like, what do you want for my kids? And well, what city will I live in? Or should I move? And th- these type of things. I think we all want to know the specific will of God. But do you think, do you think or be, do you believe that God will be clear with his specific will if you pay no attention to his general will in your life? Let me say that again. Do you believe that God will be clear with his specific will, what he wants for your life specifically, if you pay no attention, if you just completely disregard the general will of what he would like you to do? See, we're in tune with what God wants in our moments of crisis. That's when we go to God. That's when we pray. But during the other 300 plus days where we're not in crisis, we tend to ignore God or completely just Take him out of the equation when it comes to any decisions that we're making. So let me say this is the foundation of this message. 
you will have a very, very difficult time hearing for God, from God in the specifics of your life if you ignore him when it comes to the general will for your life. I want to look at some scripture this, today that shows us how God communicates. Now, remember, he's not some inanimate object. He's a personal God that desires a personal relationship that involves two-way communication. How would your relationship with God change if you actually felt like you heard from him? Now, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Exodus chapter 19. We're going to be reading from there. We're going to be all over the place a little bit, but that's the main spot we're going to be today. Exodus, the second book in the Bible written by Moses. Today, there's four things we're going to talk about on this topic of God communicating. The first one is this. If you want to hear from God, you need to make an appointment. You see, I think we understand this concept when it comes to people. And, and I feel like we take it a little more seriously with people. For example, if I set a time with you to have coffee, uh, maybe we say Tuesday at 2 o'clock, Tim Hortons, we're going to take an hour, just spend some time just conversing. And, and I, I would write it down or I'd put it in my phone and put it into, like the, uh, into the calendar part of my phone because I'm actually really forgetful. So if I don't do that, there is a good chance that I, that I will forget. And, and so... I make sure that I, I schedule that time. I make sure nothing else, I schedule nothing else during that time because I've dedicated that time to having coffee with you. And, and then if I forgot, or if all of a sudden, like I, maybe I put, you know, I put PM instead of AM in the calendar. If I forgot, I'd feel terrible. I, I'd feel like we carved out time. You went to Tim Hortons. You were waiting for me and I didn't show up. I kind of just, I stood you up. I would feel terrible. We do that with God sometimes. We say we're going to do, spend some time with God and then something else comes up and we just kind of blow it off with like, uh, just it didn't happen. What you give your time to reflects what you care about. If you're going to be a person who hears from God, you need to value the time you devote to connecting with God. See, it's not a coincidence that when you create time for God to speak, he does. For many of us, we feel like maybe God only speaks on a Sunday morning or when we're at church. Again, that's, it's not a coincidence. You have, you've dedicated an hour on a Sunday morning or you've dedicated, if you're watching this, whatever, whenever you're watching this, you've dedicated this time to spend with God. And it's no coincidence that you feel that connection with God or he's speaking to you. It's speaking to your soul when you've created this space during this time. Lots of times as a youth, pass, as a youth pastor, I would take students to a, a youth conference called Overflow. And from Friday evening till Sunday afternoon, they would carve out, they would partake in this conference where, you know, maybe if you've got, if you've got teenagers, sometimes it can be hard enough just getting them to one service. Well, on this, uh, during this weekend, they go to four services in less than 48 hours where they where they're praying, they're listening, they're, they're, they're worshiping to music, they're, they're listening to the speaker, they're taking notes, they're, they're active, and, they are, and they're loving it. And a lot of times they end up, they end up at the altar, and it's in this time where they, they, they just, this quiet time, music playing, that they feel this connection to God, or they feel God's speaking something to them. And many times they would come home with this spiritual high, and then like a month would go by, and they would say things like, Pastor Roy, Man, I felt so connected to God during that weekend. 
When we were at Overflow, I felt so connected. I feel like he was really communicating with me. I felt like I was getting some clarity on some, some things in my life, but, but now I, I don't feel anything. I, I wish I could go back to that weekend as if God lives in, a, in an arena in Waterloo. See, it's not an accident that when we carve out space for God to speak that he does. When you devote a prolonged period of time seeking his face, that you will feel like you are connected. And when you go back to not creating any space, specifically devoted to hearing from God, it's not a coincidence or an accident that you don't hear from God. Because the two are tied together. In Exodus 34, verse 10, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, and consecrate them. That consecrate them basically means like prepare them, get them ready. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. He's like, like clean some of these people up. I'm going to meet with them and be ready by the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. He's like, I am making reservations with the people. We are going to meet. And so God says, I want you to make an appointment. I'm going to meet with you. Ready yourself. Make it a priority. Set it in your day timer. And then a few verses down, it says, as this, in verse 19, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. You see, God will respond. There, when you set a time apart for God, God answers. So let me ask you today. Are you setting, setting time aside for God or are you kind of squeezing him in if you can? Like, because I know you're busy. We're all busy. But in the midst of the busyness, are you setting aside time for God? Because what you set time for shows what is important to you. See, God comes to a place that is prepared for him. We take that, we take that serious around here at APA. And I don't mean to... I don't mean to, to, to be offensive. Again, am I being offensive today? I, I, I don't mean to be offensive, but when I came here a couple of years ago, um, you may have noticed if you've, you've been here at church, we, we started doing a five-minute countdown before our services began. And, and then why did we do this? Well, there was a couple of reasons. I noticed when I first got here a couple of years ago um, that there were a few things that were a little bit lackadaisical, I would say. So we begin at 10.30 and... I would sit down at times ready for, like, I'm ready. I'm ready to get up there and preach. I'm ready for the music to start. Let's go. I've been waiting for this all week. Come on. And, and it'd be like 10.35, 10.37, 10.38 would go by. I'd be kind of looking around, and, and, and some of the worship team members, like, they're, they're doing good things. They're, like, fellowshipping with people. They're, like, they're, 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 like, they're chatting with people, and, but they weren't ready to go. And I'm, and I'm like, I feel like we're sending a message Especially for if, it's, if you're new. I feel like we're sending a message that A, either we don't care enough to start when we said we're going to start. Because if you show up and it's like, you checked out our website, you found out we started at 1030, and it's like 1038, you're thinking, what, what's happening? Or, or, but I, I felt like either A, we don't care enough. And I knew we cared. I, actually, I knew that we actually did. But it felt like we weren't prepared. It felt like it sent a message that we weren't prepared, even if we were and so God shows up in a place that is prepared for him. So we need to be prepared for him. We need to be anticipating this moment. So we put a lot of thought into our Sunday 
morning experience. We want to remove any obstacles that, and, and allow God just to do what God does best. And so it's the same for you. Set aside, put aside any obstacles, get rid of any obstacles, prepare a time, prepare a place, and allow God to connect with you. So number one, make an appointment with God, set aside time. Number two, be still and worship. Psalm 46.10, David, King David, he's writing and he says this. This this is God speaking. He says, this is what God says. He says, be still and know that I am God. Make an appointment, prepare a place, put your phone on silent, quiet your mind, and be still. See, before you can hear from God, you need to quiet the chaos. There's this story in 2 Chronicles 20, and King Jehoshaphat has got word that there are not one, not two, but three armies on their way to attack him. Have you ever felt like this? You ever felt like I got, I got a lot of busyness going on already, and then all of a sudden, I feel like I'm under attack. Like all of a sudden, you know, you get, you get fired for, or laid off from your job, or, and, and, you, and, that's, and it's such, that's a crisis in itself, and you're like, ah, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. But all of a sudden, in the midst of it, the car breaks down. And then all of a sudden, your kid gets suspended from school, and it's like three things, they say things come in threes, but it's like, I can handle one thing, and I don't know, maybe a second thing, but a third thing, I, I feel like I can't handle anymore. And that's what Jehoshaphat is feeling. That's what he's feeling in this moment. Like, one army's enough, but two and three, I don't know if I can handle that. So what does he do? Well, verse three says, alarmed, as he should be, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. So Jehoshaphat's first thing he does is he turns to God and he prepares, not just himself, but he prepares the entire nation for God to work. See, it's in that moment where your head is just overrun by your problems and it seems like things are coming at you from all sides that you just need to be still and let God be God. Be still and know that he is God. See, before long, a word came from God presented to Jehoshaphat and this is what it said. Verse 17, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. See, some of you that are prone to worry, you need to make this your life first. You need, to, you need to cut this out and put it on your mirror or in your purse or wallet. You need to put this on your refrigerator so it's right there. Instead of staying up all night worrying and allowing wave after wave of anxiety to attack you, you just need to be still and know that he is God. Take up your position. You need to, your worship position. If you were with us for our outdoor service a little while ago, you'll remember left hand up. Left hand up with send your presence, God. Right hand up, I declare your glory. This is your worship position. This is your, this is your, your attack position. Stand firm. Take up your position. Stand firm. See the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Face tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. That's what he says. See, that verse right there, that was worth tuning in for today. I, I could actually just 
close right now, but I wrote a whole bunch more things down, so I should finish. The third thing is this. Pray and read. See, that, that kind of seems like Christianity 101. Pray and read. We've talked about prayer in depth in the Here I Am to Worship series, and if you missed that, you can always go back and check it out on Facebook or YouTube, but for many of us, we don't know what to pray for, or we get distracted. We, we start praying, and then like we're praying to God, and this random thought pops in our head, like, like maybe I'm praying, I'm praying for our church or our community, and I was, I'm praying to God, and then all of a sudden this thought of like, what is a zebra? Is a zebra a black horse with white stripes, or is it a white horse with black stripes? And like, you know, where did that thought come from? Our minds wander when we're not sure what to pray. Simply do this. This is a great starting point. Pray for what's on your heart. Pray about the things that concern you. Like God made you in a way that certain things break your heart more than others. So if God put the prime minister on your heart to pray for, pray for him. If, if God put your community that you're in, or God put nurses or teachers or people with cancer, if, that, if that's what God's putting on your heart, pray for those things. If you're not sure where to start, start there. And then read your Bible. Some of you don't know where to start. I don't know where to read. I'd, I'd say start on the inside. Joking. But don't read for, don't read for quantity. Read for quality. See, I'd rather, way rather that you read one verse, one single verse, and then go and live it than to read 10 chapters and then feel good, close the book and then feel good like you, you accomplished something, but not live any of it and not remember any of it. See, one idea is to do this. Read through Proverbs. Proverbs is this book of practical wisdom, and there are 31 chapters, which is like one chapter for every day of the month. Other than that, read through the Gospels. The, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, where you can specifically see the life of Jesus. The book of James is a great starting point. But when you're reading, read and invite God to journey with you through what you're reading so that he can make, help you make sense of what it is so that you can live it out. So it's not just like I'm reading this story of, from thousands of years ago and I'm not sure how this has anything to do with my life. Ask God to come with you in that, in that journey. So first, make an appointment with God. Second, be still and worship him. And then pray and read. Jesus did this. In Mark 135, it says, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, if you read on from this, I find this, this is hilarious because it says that Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, if you're a mom, you totally understand this. You can't go and find a quiet place for three minutes without everyone in the house coming looking for you. Like, where were you? We've been looking for you. But Jesus set, set his time. He had his chance to be still, just be in God's presence, and he prayed. Same thing with David. Psalm 119, 147 says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. That's, that's him saying, if I, I pray and I have put my hope in your word, your word, the Bible. Now make an appointment with God. Be still. Pray and read. And then fourth thing is this. Write. Write down your prayers. 
Now, this is a discipline that I'm looking to add to my life. Take a pen out in a book, in a journal. Maybe take out your phone and write out your prayers. Put them on paper. Now, there's a couple reasons why you do this. Number one, it'll keep you focused. For those of you that your mind tends to wander during your prayer times, it's a great way when you're writing, you have less chance that you're going to want, your mind's going to wander off. And the secondly, what you will create is a prayer genealogy. See, it's easy to forget sometimes what God has done, how God's been faithful in your life, the times that God has answered your prayers in the past. And, and then something comes up in your life that seems chaotic and you, and you become frantic and you, you, you're wondering, how, how is God ever going to come through in this, this area of my life now? But you forgot. You forgot that years ago he did the exact same thing. And if you had that perspective, if you were able to look back, if you were able to remind yourself at times, you would be calm heading into your current circumstance. So if you take these four things and you combine them, you create a rhythm. And out of that rhythm comes a closeness. And out of that closeness comes God's voice. You see, many people want God to make his will known. And they want him to be very extravagant in how he does it. God, I want you to shout it out. I want, you to, do you, I, want, I want you to tell me what you want for my life. I want you to say it so loud that there would be no mistake about it. But personally, when do you shout? You shout when someone is far away. You shout because you want them to be able to hear you. But when you hear from God, oftentimes it's a whisper. Why? Because he's close. He's close. You whisper when you're close to people. So how do I know this whisper, this thing that I'm just kind of sensing? How do I know it's God? Well, let me close with five simple ways to know it's God. Number one, does it align with his attributes and is it consistent with his character? See, people use religion to get what they want all the time. And they use God to accomplish their own agenda. So when someone says, God told me, but the thing that God told them doesn't line up with God's attributes or his character, they're manipulating the word of God for their own sake. How do I know it aligns with God's character? Well, that's why it's really important that you read God's word. That's why when he's revealed himself through this book, the Bible, it's important that you read it to understand so that when I hear something, I'll say, that's not, I know right away, that's not God's character. That's not how God operates. That's not who he is. Number two, is it scriptural? Can you affirm it in the word of God? Be careful of people who only talk in, in, in forms of dreams and, or words that you can't find anywhere in scripture. Be very careful because if it doesn't line up with Scripture, God's Word, then it's not from God. Number three, is it wise? See, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. So it needs to be wise. Number four, is it in tune with your own character? Does it, does it feel right, like gut feeling? right? Uh, the gut feeling by itself is not enough. It's got to line up with all these other things. But if it's scriptural and it's God's character and you've got a gut feeling that this is good and it's wise, then there's a good chance it's from God. And number five, do other people who you trust and love and who love God, do they affirm it? 
See, I, I recently, uh, about a year ago, had a, a student call me up, a former student, and they were looking for some advice on this big life decision that they were making. And they began by saying, I believe God is speaking to me. I believe that God's kind of just in my spirit letting me know that this is what they want me to do, but I want to make sure that I'm not making an emotional decision. And so I listened to what they were talking about and, and what I saw in their life, and I cared about this person was, I actually think, you know, what you're thinking you're hearing from God is true because it makes sense to me. I affirm that. And then I found out that they had also talked to their parents who affirmed it. I, and they talked to their small group leader who had affirmed it. A couple other people that they trusted. And, and all of us, because we cared about this person, and it lined up with what God was whispering in them, and it, made, it lined up, it was wise, and it lined up with God's character, it allowed this, the student to make this very, very tough decision with confidence because they felt like God had, was in it. God had spoken. Let me finish with this story. About seven or eight years ago, I was at the, the five-year mark, five mark as a youth pastor in Petrolia, which is a small town in southwestern Ontario. And I get this call out of the blue. One of the biggest churches in our denomination, in our district, wanted me to interview for their, their youth pastor position. And I was kind of flattered, if I'm honest. Because when you're in a small town at times, you think nobody knows you're here or knows who you are. And so right away, I just said, yes, I will interview. I'll come interview. I didn't consult with God. I, I, and then I went and had a, lead, a, a conversation with my lead pastor because I knew, you know, we were friends and I knew that he would want what's best for me and, and I knew he'd be supportive. And that night, my wife, Jen, and I, we prayed and we talked and we prayed and we cried and we talked and we prayed. And we asked God for direction. Again, reverse order. And after taking some time to pray and talk and seek guidance, we, we just both got this feeling like our time in Petrolia is not over. We didn't know that we'd be there five more years, but it wasn't done. And see, God didn't scream it out. There, there wasn't a scripture verse that just jumped off the page that just confirmed it. It was, it was definitely a whisper, a whisper that both of us picked up on independently. People ask, how did you know? I was never at peace. I never felt like God was releasing me, that there was more to be done. And so five years later, when we made the move and decision to come to Arthur and we, we consulted, we, we prayed, and we, we, we just went to God with that decision, there was something totally different. There was this absolute peace about the decision, which was just confirmation that the earlier decision to stay was, was the right decision. If you're listening today, will you try this? Will you make room for God? Because will, will, we know that God comes to a prepared place. Will you schedule him into the regular part of your day? Will you just be still when you come before God and just worship him? Will you commit to praying and reading your Bible? And then writing out your prayers. Because if you will do this, if, you will, if you'll even just try this even for seven days, and it becomes a discipline. And over time, you'll be able to look back and you'll see, I am much more in tune with God's voice. 
and, and I've written down his record of faithfulness. I have this prayer journal of time after time, of, of times God has come through for me. Something you can pass down to future generations. Look what God did. Here's how he was faithful. And people will ask you, how'd you know it was God's voice? And you'll say, I just did. I mean, it's hard to explain, but when you know your father's voice, it's unmistakable when you hear it. Let's pray. God, I pray for the, the person today who would say that they've never heard your voice before or they're not sure if it's your voice and they want to hear from you. And Lord, I would encourage them to take time, create a discipline, prepare a place where you can speak. I pray that they would, they would open up their Bible, even if, it, if, if it's been a while, and just start reading a little bit at a time. And I pray that you would be with them as they do, that you would reveal yourself within the pages of that book. I pray that they would take time to to communicate, to speak with you, is because we know that you want to communicate with your children. I pray that they would, even if it seems uncomfortable, pull out a pen and paper and write down their prayers so that they're able to look back and understand that you always answer prayer. Even if it's not the way we want it to, you always answer. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be people that Seek you first in the decisions that we make and allow you to be faithful in our lives like you have before. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.